let's, uh, let's continue with our study. Uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we've been looking at verse 7, and we're going to return to verse 7. So he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. And I pray, dear God, that you would please help us in this matter. Help us to become good servants of Christ Jesus, to care for your people, to serve our generation, and then to be gathered to our fathers. Oh God, time is so fleeting. We are so weak. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the word discipline here is from the Greek word uh, gymnazo, which refers to any vigorous exercise such as might take place in a school of athletics. So we're going to see that um, in different places in Scripture, Paul uses these metaphors. Uh, sometimes he talks about a farmer who works very hard tilling the ground and sowing seed but also an athlete. Now, um, I can't really make a comparison, but from Paul's writings and also from what we know of, of history in the Roman Empire and especially in the preceding the Greek, um, the Greek world, um, athletes were, um, were greatly exalted, kind of like today. And um, athletes trained very, very hard for the games, extremely hard. And if you went to a school of athletics, there were going to be things like running and throwing, but also wrestling, fighting. And uh, I don't know if you have ever wrestled before, but um, you know, um, you can run, uh, you can cycle, you can kayak, you can do a lot of things, but a few minutes of wrestling someone your weight or someone a little bit bigger than you will wear you out. Or if you're a boxer or a striker, three minute rounds, oh my. <laughs> you know, you say, well, it's no big deal, three minutes. Well, try it sometime with someone who wants to beat your, beat your head off. You know, um, Even try it just on a bag. Um, three rounds as hard as you can, punching and kicking with all your might it will literally wear you out. And so Paul is using a metaphor that is very, very strong, okay? We want to discipline ourselves. Now, I want you to think about something, um, especially in places like the Soviet Union or China. Uh, in the United States, you can live a dream even when it's a delusion, <laughs> you know? Your, uh, you're five years old, both your parents are about, you know, this tall, <laughs> and you're at the lowest percentile of height. You're not very athletic at all. You have no coordination, and you say, I want to be a pro basketball player. Well, they'll, they'll let you live out that dream. They will. <laughs> you can live that delusion all 12 years, grade school and high school, uh, but you're not going to be a pro player. Now, um, in China and Russia, they'll just tell you, no, that's not what you're going to do. Well, why? Because you're no good at it. You're not built for it. 
But then, you know, in those types of regimes, they'll also find someone like a little girl who's extremely powerful or, or extremely coordinated and go, there's a gymnast. That girl's a gymnast. And from the time that they discover her at five or six years old, and that child's entire life until they perform in the Olympics at 17 or whatever, their entire life is nothing but living around that sport. Uh, believe it or not, this happens in some countries in Europe, South America, uh, especially Brazil, Argentina. They find some young guy who's just, you know, from the time he's a little, little boy, that he's exceptional in football. And they will put him in a football school. They will isolate him from everything else. And I mean, they will literally, everything that child does until the time that they play pro football is nothing but football. But let's take a, a, a little gymnast for a moment. They discover at five or six years old that here's this extraordinary person, flexibility, strength, speed, coordination. Everything changes. Uh, she goes to school differently. She gets up in the morning when the other kids are sleeping. After school, she goes back to training. Her diet is different. Her even social contacts are now different. She's not going out partying or doing all these types of things. Everything in her life is geared toward one focus, and that is getting the gold in the Olympics. And it's not even real gold. Now, look, look at what they do. Even the amateurs, you know, when I go to the gym in the morning and I see an amateur boxer or an amateur swimmer or an amateur weightlifter and they're there at five in the morning and I mean pushing it with everything they got. Sometimes we need to look at these, these sorts of disciplines and then ask ourselves, how am I training me? How am I training myself in the scriptures? If you go uh, some of these, um, you know, these extraordinary military teams, you know, like the SEALs or the Rangers, um, they train constantly, 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 over and over and over again. And some of the things that they have to go through just to qualify, it, it's terrifying. It's literally terrifying. Now, now look at that. They're doing this for something extraordinarily temporal. You know, you take a good fighter, by the time he is in his 30s, young 30s, I mean, he's on his way out. They're going for a medal that isn't even really gold. And even if it was gold, it won't last forever. They train and they train. I think of children that want to be concert pianist or concert violinist or concert cello players. And you think their whole life is dedicated. Some children who, who you know, play the guitar so much their fingers will bleed. And then you look at us and you ask yourself, how much discipline, how much discipline? We need to be dis disciplining ourselves in the scripture, disciplining ourselves in prayer. And yes, brethren, we need to discipline ourselves in what we eat. We need to discipline ourselves in how we take care of our bodies. We need to discipline ourselves to be as strong and as healthy 
and stay alive as long as we possibly can to serve him. We need to realize that the body and the mind and the spirit, they're, they're all connected. And we need to take care of each one of those things so that we can be more effective for Christ. But above all the other things, it's the knowledge of Scripture. It's the consumption of Scripture. It is learning how to pray. It is practicing the presence of God. It is seeking to be conformed to Christ in our thinking, in our actions, in everything. Um, when, when I got into the ministry, um, I, I went to Peru and um, the ministry tremendously prospered. And it wasn't because of me. It was because I just happened to arrive in Peru in God's providence at a time when 85 years of men sowing and not reaping, a harvest began. And so there were great works going all over Peru. Um, people were being saved. You could preach on the streets and people would listen to you for hours. You could, it, it was just, and that was wonderful. But we became so busy discipling and preaching and trying to take Bibles into the interior and everything that you start wearing yourself out. And then when I came back here to the States, you know, uh, taking care of 20 missionaries and then 30 and then 40 and now over 330 missionary families, all the financial stuff that has to be done, all the legal work that has to be done, and it literally can wear you out. And it's the same way in the pastorate. You keep pouring yourself out and pouring yourself out and soon you're inside out. There's nothing left to pour. And, and that is why, brethren, when I go to a church, a lot of times churches will ask me, they'll say, you know, we, we don't have a pastor right now. What should we do? And I'll tell them, before you look for a pastor, you need to look at yourself. You need to ask yourself some questions. And the first thing I'll say is, how many days a week do you want your pastor to work? Seven? And they go, no. And I go, well, how much? And usually they'll say somewhere between five and a half and six. Okay. Now, how many hours a day do you want him to work? 20, 15, 16, 14, 12? Usually they'll get somewhere around, you know, 10. Okay, now, 10 hours a day. Now think, this is the man that's going to impact your soul and the Im impact the soul of your children. How many hours of those 10 hours a day, how many hours do you want him studying scripture? I mean, really studying scripture, 20 minutes? And they'll usually say, wow, we never thought about it that way before. And I said, well, you need to. And usually we'll get somewhere around three hours, okay. Good, good. Now, how much do you want him interceding for your family and your children every day? 15 minutes, 10 minutes? And I begin to show them that if they really want a minister, they need to, they need to give that minister time to feed his own soul and to prepare their meal and to intercede and to prepare his own soul in prayer. It's very important. 
But at the same time, you men need to think about this. Uh, you're only going to grow as high as your roots go deep. And there are so few men who actually preach the word. Now, I'm not saying there's not good preachers out there. There's many, many good preachers and far more than we know. And uh, almost every preacher I meet is far better than I am at preaching. Um, but the point is, even with all the good men that there are out there, there's just not enough. There's just not enough. And those men sometimes are pulled in so many directions like me. Administration, all kinds of things. Brothers, what will God do with a man who simply studies, prays, lives and preaches? And you say, but the ministry is so much more. OK, prove it. What do you mean? Well, you know, you have to visit people. Yeah. And what are you supposed to do when you visit them? Pray with them. And what? Give them all your funny little sayings? No, open the word of God to them. Counseling, home visitation ultimately has to do with you communicating truth, doesn't it? So well, there's deacons meetings. Yes. And what should the man of God be doing in the deacons meeting? Accounting? No. He should be expounding the scriptures when decisions have to be made. Your life should be one of prayer, the study of scripture, living as an example of scripture and proclaiming scripture. But not only do you need to know that the church needs to know it. I imagine there are some very, very fine administrators all throughout France and Quebec. I'm sure there are. But how many men of the word are there? You see? Discipline yourself. Part of that discipline, one of the things the devil will do is he'll use the church against you because the church just doesn't understand what you're supposed to be doing. So you need to teach the church what you're supposed to be doing. But when you, the church gives you freedom to do it, you better do it. Because I have found a very, very common trait among many ministers, and it's called slothfulness. It's called just flat out being lazy. Okay, and that's why it's good to have someone hold you accountable. Now, we're going to kind of just kind of follow this out through. Why are some ministers lazy? Well, they're lazy because they're just lazy. That's one of the reasons. But here's another one. The ministry today is not respected very much. If you tell someone you're a doctor or a garbage collector, they'll thank you. But if you tell them you're a minister of the gospel and you believe the Bible, they'll look at you like you were some witch that needed to be burned. As a matter of fact, they like witches better than they do you. And sometimes because of that, and because the ministry is sometimes like cutting grass. You know, when you cut grass, you have to cut it again the very next week. And so every week it's the same thing going back and back and back and back. And because of that, sometimes we like to daydream. We like to read books. We like to watch television and things like that. Anything to get our mind off of how difficult and sometimes monotonous our job is. 
But we need to we need to get out of that. And the best way to break out of that is by fellowship with other ministers in which you don't just talk about the weather or superficial things, but you talk about each other's soul. How are you doing? And it's not just, well, I didn't do good this week, but why did I not do good this week? What was it that discouraged me? Um, Here's something that I have discovered also. Someone can come into my office and say, oh, Brother Paul, someone just wrote some, I remember this. They said someone just wrote something horrible about you on the internet. And I thought, and I mean, I was working really well. I was writing, I was taking care of missionary problems. And the moment they said that, I just couldn't function. I was so discouraged, right? And then about five minutes later, they come back in and they said, uh, yeah, they really said some bad things about you, but they said the same things about John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. And then I went, oh, okay. (laughs) And I was back to working again. I was encouraged. (laughs) And one of the things, brethren, that I think in the Reformed uh, faith that we have really got to practice a lot more, and that's encouragement encouraging one another, instilling one another with courage. A broken, beaten down heart really can't accomplish much. And so now he says, discipline yourself. And then he goes on and he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, the word can be translated and is at times translated holiness. Okay, a piety toward God. Our reverence. It's it's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. One of um, a word that was sometimes used by the old guys. And I don't know how it would translate, but God besought. Um, the idea is almost saturated um, with the knowledge of God. The degree that it produces a reverent lifestyle, a walking in the fear of the Lord. It also deals with a constant awareness of of the reality of God. Um, in my young life, um, I think I confuse some terms. Um, you know, when we talk about the presence of God, right? Well, we can talk about the presence of God as a reality. God is omnipresent, so there's no place he's not present. He's even present in hell. Um, But then we talk about the manifest presence of God. You know, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. Or Moses and the cloud. Um, Or Solomon's dedication of the temple and the Shekinah glory. and so there's the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. But then there's there's something else that's it's not the same thing, but it should be quite related. And I've discovered that a man who spends a great deal of time in the word, who spends time in prayer, um, has a special sense of God. Um, it's not the manifest presence like, oh, God is in this place. Um, But it's more of just the more he's in the word, the more God is a constant reality for him. 
God is the reality, I guess we could say. Um, I remember now this was, of course, a rabbi who said this. A young rabbi came up to him and said, you know, I can't seem to see God in anything. And the rabbi said, I have a similar problem. I cannot not see God in everything. And for us, um, that ought to be not just a saying, but a reality that God indwells the believer indwells the minister and um, God is constantly drawing us to himself. But as we study the word and as we pray, um, I believe that the reality, it's like a almost a refined awareness. And God becomes the greatest reality to us. Do you see that? And and, and that's why, gentlemen, it's not enough to be moral. It's not enough to be reformed. It's not enough to be a parrot. You don't want to be a parrot that just says what they hear someone say, but that something actually becomes a reality. Well, let me give you an example. Years and years ago, you know, I, along with everyone else, discovered John Piper. You know, all of a sudden he wrote a book, a magnificent book, okay? And throughout the years, uh, he has been so consistent in saying the same thing. It's, it's about the glory of God. Okay? Now, I do not want to take anything away from that. It's a wonderful blessing. Uh, it kind of sparked a renewal in so many people to realize it's not about me, it's about God. But you could tell there were sometimes, I mean, I remember one time I was in a back room and I didn't see the speaker. I was at a conference and uh, I was in Africa. I'll never forget this. And uh, so some guy gets up and speak and I'm in the back room and I'm like, I'm listening to him and I'm going, oh, my goodness. I didn't know John Piper's here. I'll never forget that. I was like, wow, no one told me. Um, you know, I was I was a younger guy and, and I was like, wow. And boy, was I sad when I walked out and it wasn't Piper. It sounded like Piper. He said the same things Piper said. But I could also see when I got out there, there, there wasn't the same reality. As when Piper said it, and that's not just personality and it's not just emotion. It's that you can parrot something and it's not a reality. OK. You can read some really great quotes from the Puritans, you know, or, or uh, uh, John Flavel or Ambrose or, or just go on and on. Isaac Ambrose, you can just find all kinds of wonderful things to say, but that doesn't mean they're realities in your life. Has it entered into you? You know, um, and so we need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of being more godly, of being more reverent, of having this heightened reality of the reality of God. OK. And, and guys, there's no. There's no like 10 steps. It's just one step. Devote yourself to spending time with God in the word and in prayer. Now, I want us to look for a moment at a very, very good illustration. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. 
And it'll tell you something about Paul, the seriousness with which, and not just the seriousness, but we can even say extreme, um, how tenacious that the Apostle Paul truly was in this matter. He says, do you not know that those who run uh, in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win. Now, let's, let's just say from the very start here, Paul gives an illustration. It is inspired, but like all illustrations, it has its limitations, okay? Uh, let me give an example. When, when God says, you know, he covers us with his pinions or his wings, <laughs> that's definitely a beautiful picture it puts in our mind, but it's limited, isn't it? He's not telling us the full story, okay? So Paul is not saying that you and I ought to be competing against one another, trying to beat one another, trying to, you know, one-up one another. That's it's not what he's saying. Um, he is saying something, but the, the illustration that he gives is limited. He's talking about, he's talking about whether it's running or fighting or whatever it is, do it to win. Do it to win. Now, I think another way of looking at it is um, with the giftings and the grace that has been given to you, do everything you can. Do everything you can to be everything you can be for Christ. There is nothing passive about the Christian life. But the wonderful thing is this. Let me show you something. If, if I have to be radical, uh, if I have to be extreme, if I have to push it to the limits in order to gain the love of God, I'm going to be miserable. That race is no fun. I may lose. But if the love of God is already mine, if the trophy is already mine, if it's guaranteed, then now I can train and run and train and run without fear of failure. Do you see that? So I'm not running or striving so that he might love me. I'm running and striving because he does. I'm not running and striving to be saved and afraid that I'm going to be lost. I'm running and striving without any fear because I won't be lost because he who began a good work in me will finish it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, it's like a professor coming in and saying, you know, let's say that you're a group of guys and you love physics, you know, um, but you're in the last course at the university and it's, you know, a lot of people can't pass it. You love physics and you want to go out and do physics after you graduate, but you don't know if you're going to pass this course. You'd love to study the material, but you're terrified. The professor's very hard. And the professor walks in and he says, if you've made it to my class, it means that you have studied hard for four years. This is your last class. So I'm giving every one of you a perfect score. Now let's enjoy the material. Okay. You all have a perfect score with regard to justification. Now let's run. Let's fight. Okay, not so that he will love us, but because he loves us. So he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. 
through gates of splendor. Through gates of splendor. I, I ha had a friend who's now gone on to glory. And uh, the day that he died, <laughs> oh my goodness, the day he died of a heart attack, he gets up in the morning and he goes, you know what? He studied, he had his quiet time. He studied the word. He got up that morning and he studied the word really early. And then he prayed. He spent a lot of time in prayer. And then he, he, he realized, you know, I want to make my wife breakfast. So he made his wife breakfast. And then after that, he thought, you know, there's this young man who's been coming to the church and I'm, I'm concerned about his soul. And he called him and he talked to him at length about his soul, pleaded with him to turn to Jesus. And then my friend died. I would say that, you know, he crossed the line, didn't he? He crossed the finish line at a dead run. Brothers, I, I was young and now I am old and it goes so fast, so very fast. While you have strength, run, run, run. Just run. So he goes on and he says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You know, I've lived long enough on the Internet. You can uh, sometimes I see these things where it shows this actor, you know, that was like really handsome or beautiful when I was young. And then they do this age kind of development with the photography. And now you see the actor and they're 70 or 80 and you see this beautiful, beautiful girl who becomes a very, very old woman or this very handsome, strong guy becomes this very old and bald and wrinkly guy, you know, um, that's us. They gained the entire world and lost everything. But but our, ours is eternal. It does not perish. We inherit a kingdom that will not perish and that is incorruptible. We have a, a, a town here in Virginia called Williamsburg, Jamestown. And uh, it's just like it was in the colonial period. If you go there, the people are all dressed like the colonial period of 250 years ago. They, they just drive buggies and wagons and the, the textile stores, everything. If you talk to them about something modern like a phone, they won't, they'll, they won't acknowledge you. They don't. It, it, it's amazing. And you see the wonder of how our country began. And the thing that is so sad is you realize when you study the history that there were men who were very brilliant, very noble, who gave their life to build a country. I mean, they literally consumed their lives to build a country. And now that country pollutes the entire world morally. And is literally on the verge of destruction. 
and chaos. So they gave their life for a kingdom that's lasted only a few hundred years. How much more? I mean, many of those men died to sign the Declaration of Independence. They put their life at risk, all these things. But now the country, they wouldn't even recognize it. But you see, you and I were not that way. Our king is incorruptible. His kingdom is incorruptible and eternal. He says, 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. You know, uh, I used to do a lot of archery, and um, there's this saying, practice makes perfect. That's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Bad practice will not make you perfect. <laughs> You can practice for hours in the wrong way and you'll just keep getting worse at what you're doing. Good practice makes perfect. And um, that's what we need to see. And I'm, I'm gonna, if you guys are up for it, we'll have another session, but I wanna take a break. I wanna break each one at about 30 minutes if possible. And uh, so let me pray and then we'll go on uh, if you young guys are able to keep up with me, we'll do another session, okay? All right. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you will use it, dear God, in the life of your people, in the life of these men. In Jesus' name.